We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. And originally I had it, we're going to do this in two weeks, but we're going to cover it in one week. So if you guys would please stand as I read Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to read 11 through 28. 11 through 28. And the last time I was reading, I kind of butchered the text. So God just used me humble, so I got some new glasses. I know, here we go. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all the holy place, not by means of bloods of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For at the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of the defiled person of the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more with the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 15. Therefore, he is a mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called by many receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Uh, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and the scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tents and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, for Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the truer things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer him repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own, for then, the, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await for him. Here is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Hebrews. We thank you for your goodness and grace towards us through your son, Jesus. We thank you that we just celebrated a couple months ago where Jesus stepped out of heaven and became a babe in a manger. He incarnated it. He is God and man. He walked a perfect life in our place. He died on the cross that we deserved to die, and He rose again three days later. And because of that, because of His sacrifice, because of His shed blood, we have access to You. We don't have to go to a temple yearly. We don't have to sacrifice His animals. We just have to repent and believe in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, everyone here, 
as Hebrews 3 says, that we would consider Jesus. We would consider Jesus no matter where we are in life. Maybe there's some of you that have walked in here, and I know with the cloud this big, that there are some walking in here that are aching, that are suffering, that are in a, a deep trial. They're experiencing the, a Genesis 3 world. And I pray they would consider Jesus as, the, as their good shepherd who's leading and guiding and directing them, whose rod and staff is protecting them as he walks them through this dark time. And sometimes the Lord takes us down into the valley to get us to a greener pasture. For those of us that are on green pastures right now, that our life is going well and things are, 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 are joyful and happy, I pray that we would thank the Good Shepherd for His blessing and for leading us to this place of security and peace. And if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, I pray especially for you that you would consider Him this morning. That He might be calling you to trust Him for the salvation of your soul. That, that you would enter into His fold. He would be your Good Shepherd. He would be your King. He would be your Savior. He would be your friend. And you would feel and experience the joy and freedom that's only found in Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that we all would consider You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> I love movies, as you guys know, and I love the Lord of the Rings series. And I don't know about you, but our family this past Christmas season kind of binged on the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit season. Anyone else do that? Join the Santinis or just us? All right, you guys are sinners. Okay, all right. Um, no, I, I love it. And I, and I can't wait for the new Prime Video series to come out, right? Kind of tracing the rings, that, how they were made, and it's called The Rings of Power. Who's looking forward to that? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, okay, yeah, you guys are with me. Well, there's a number of epic scenes in The Lord of the Rings, but the one I want us to call our attention on this morning and focus on is when the, the fellowship, the team, was running through the caverns of um, uh, Gimli's uh, cousin in the dwarf overthrown kingdom, right? You guys remember that scene? They're, they're running from, the, uh, from the, what then, the, the orcs, the goblins, the goblins, right? And then all of a sudden, this demon appears. This demon Balrog appears. And everyone scatters because this dude is the man of the kingdom down there, and he's chasing this fellowship. And they're running, and they're running, trying to get away, but he's, he's closing the distance. And Gandalf has enough. Gandalf has enough. He lets the other fellowship go. He turns around. He gets on that little skinny bridge. You guys remember the scene? Belrog comes in here, and, and, and there's, they're head to head, face to face. Gandalf versus Belrog. And what does Gandalf do? He's, he's had enough. He just takes his staff, and he slams it to the ground and says, boom, you shall not pass. And then all of a sudden, that, you know, the bridge falls, and, and Belrog and, and, and Gandalf are falling to them. They're still doing to the death, and, and finally Gandalf prevails. It's a great scene. I want you to remember that phrase as we walk through Hebrews chapter 9. You shall not pass. In particular, the first six verses. Now we're again in the middle of an argument that, that the author started way back in, in verse, um, uh, verse 5. And in Hebrews 9, our author is still comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That, that newer is better. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And we looked at Hebrews 8 the last time, and, and, and in Hebrews 8, the author referred to this heavenly tent where Jesus was seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the reason why we point that out is that he's seated is because 
uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection satisfied, uh, atoned for the sins of the world. So there's no more need for him to do anything for our sins. He, he completed it when he died on the cross and rose again. It is finished, so now he is sitting down at the right hand of God in Hebrews chapter 8. And now in Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the great sacrifice of Christ. It's the sacrifice that we're going to focus on that cleanses our conscience and then gives us access, gives access to everyone who repents and believes in Him. We now have this free and unlimited free pass to God. Where in the old covenant, the, the, and the people who approached the tabernacle, they heard the words, you shall not pass. Not literally, but that was the way the old, te- the old covenant was in the tabernacle was built. You couldn't, as an everyday Joe, get to the presence of God. You shall not pass. But under the new covenant, under the finished work of Jesus, we have free and open access. The new covenant is better because it's a covenant of access. It's a covenant of access where the old covenant was not a covenant of access. So we are going to see that we have full access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So let's look at this. Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. First, we see access denied. Access denied. Verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in earthly places in the holy place. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and all the ark of the covenant covered all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Verse 5, above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, many of you, I don't know if we had a picture. Did we ever get the picture, Ed? Oh, we did. Great. We got the picture. Now, many of you were with us when we went through the book of Exodus, and we spent 10 chapters on the building of the tabernacle. Uh, They started in in Exodus 25 through 30 and 35 through 40. And so I just want to briefly remind you, because the readers of Hebrews would have been really familiar with the tabernacle and all the sacrificial system. So I just want to refresh your memory. You had this, this, this uh, tabernacle, which was about the length of a football field, the size of a football field, and you would enter in from the east, and this would be the general court, and the first thing you would see would be the altar of burnt offerings. That's where all the sacrifices of the lambs and the goats and the bulls would have been. And then the bronze basin there, the lever, was where the, the priests would wash themselves before they would enter into the holy place. In the, the first place, the first section is what we're talking about here in verses 1 through 4. As you would enter in, and of course, you could not enter in. Um, you cannot enter in this place. We'll get to that in a second. But the priests would enter in, and on the right, you'd have the taber, table of presence, or, or with the breads on there, the 12 breads that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And to the left, you'd have the, the, the lampstand that would light up the whole area because it was encapsulated in this big old carpet rug thing, and uh, you, you couldn't get any light in there, and so that the light was lampstand. Then you had the altar of incense there that would, would create a nice smell because the hundreds of thousands of animals that were being sacrificed would have just made the place unbearable to, to smell. And so you had this altar of incense that had this great um, smell, also represented the prayers of the people. And then going into the second half, only one priest could go in, and that was the high priest. This was in the Holy of Holies. And you have to go through this big um, torn veil. Not, it wasn't torn then, but it was this big veil that you would walk through, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant would be. 
And in the Ark of the Covenant, it says it was Moses' staff, was a jar of manna, and was the commandments. And so we see this, but we see down in verse 5. So that's verses 1 through 5a, but then in verse 5b, it says we cannot speak of these things in detail. The author doesn't want to spend any more time on the furniture, so neither will we. We'll just keep, continue to move on. So look at verse 6. It says, shifts our attention now to the work of the priests in the tabernacle in Hebrews 9, 6 through 10. So look at verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priest go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. And so the ones that were allowed, and again, I want you to notice the exclusivity of the temple, the ones that were allowed to go in were priests. A handful of priests were allowed to go into the temple because they had to keep up the maintenance of the temple. They had to make sure the wicks and the sand were, were, were cut right so they would continually burn. They had to make sure the bread didn't get moldy so they had to change out the bread. They had to, they had to upkeep the temple. But again, notice, no regular people were allowed into the temple. Uh, no, no teachers were allowed in there. No nurses, no construction workers, no kids were allowed in the temple. Only the priests in this first section. Only the priests. And again, they did that too, again, for the preparations. But then notice how more exclusive it gets in verse 7. But into the second only, the Holy of Holies now, the high priest, and only the high priest could go, and he could only go into the presence of the Lord once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself for the, and for the unintentional sins of the people. So we see how exclusive this was. Only one person, once a year, had access to the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was in this tabernacle, and later on would become the temple. This is where the presence of God dwelled, in the Holy of Holies. And again, only one priest could go in there on one day. Do you guys know the day? What's the day? The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. He could go in to offer these sacrifices for himself and for the people. And talk about an exclusive club. This is an exclusive club of one who has access to God and His presence. And he only has it once a year. Everyone else... You shall not pass. You shall not pass. Now, for the high priest to pass even into the Holy of Holies, he went through a very precise preparation. Because if he approached the Lord um, defiled or flippantly, he would be immediately struck, struck down. He would be immediately killed by the Lord. Because defiled people can't come into the presence of the Lord. You remember the stories of Nahab and Abihu that offered strange fire to the Lord. They were struck down immediately. You remember when they were moving the ark um, that it was, uh, who was it? Uzziah, that the ark was actually starting to fall and he tried to catch the ark and his sinfulness, he died immediately because he touched the ark. Uh, and again, that was outside the holies of holies. And so the heart, defiled men can't touch or be in the presence of a holy God. He has to go through these incredible, these incredible, precise preparations. I mean, holy cow, even Indiana Jones knew not to mess with the ark, right? Even he knew not to touch the ark, right? All right. But again, why? Because sinful, defiled men and women cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Tradition tells us that, not Scripture, but tradition tells us that on the Day of the Atonement, the bells were, were wrapped around the garment of the high priest when he'd go in there, and then the, they would wrap a rope around his ankle, so if the high priest went in there and he was defiled and died, they could pull him out. Because no one could go into the Holy and Holies to go in, because they would be struck down immediately as well. So that's tradition, right? 
But therefore, again, I'm highlighting just the incredible preparation that they had. this high priest had to go through to prepare for this day. One Old Testament scholar said this, they would separate the high priest a whole week before the Day of Atonement. He would leave his, his family, if he had a family, he would leave it, he would go into seclusion, and it would just be himself, uh, because they didn't want him to, to accidentally come into something unclean. Uh, so he was completely alone, and, and they would bring clean foods to him, so he would be assured not to eat any unclean foods. Again, they would, he, would, he would do these ceremonial washings. The night before, he would stay up all night praying and reading through uh, the Scriptures, trying to purify his soul, confessing sin, etc. Then on the day, he would, he, would, he would bathe themselves. When he'd go in to make these sacrifices, as Hebrews 9, 7 says, he would, he would wear these linen things. He would first go in and make a sacrifice for himself. Then he would come out. He would bathe again. They'd put on new linens. He would go back into the Holy of Holies and then make the sacrifices for the people. He went through a very meticulous process because again, defiled, sinful men and women can't come into the presence of a holy God. And we see he offers these sacrifices for himself, for his sin, and the sins of the people. And notice what kind of sins in verse 7. Uh, first, there's obviously willful, overt, overt sins. Those are, the, those are the sins where we automatically, we know we're going to sin, we do it, and it's on our conscience. We willfully disobey the Lord. Those are obviously included. But even more are unintentional or covert sins. Did you know that you and I sin unintentionally? That, that, that sometimes we sin and we don't even know we're sinning. Those sins as well were covered in this process, but only for a year. Only for a year. Then they had to do it over and over and over again. So this system was not good enough. Look again at verse 8. This system was not good enough. He says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open. There's no access as long as the first section is still standing, i.e. the old covenant, which is symbolic for this present age. According to this arrangement, the gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, these rituals, this sacrifice didn't get to the heart of the matter, which is where all the defilement comes out of. It only covered the outside or the outward, verse 10, but deal with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So access was denied to God's presence under the old covenant because the sacrifices were insufficient to deal with the main issue. And that was our heart. Our hearts and our conscience were, un, were defiled. They were, these sacrifices were insufficient. Again, they didn't get to the heart of the matter. Verse 9, it cannot, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It could not remove the, remove the guilt or the hardness of heart of the people, of you and me. This is why it was an inferior covenant, in covenant to the old. Under this covenant, there were no definitive sin removed. God was still inaccessible to the people because of the sin that remained in their hearts. And it's the same with those apart from Christ now. They're apart from God because of the sin that remains in their hearts and their conscience. You shall not pass. That's number one. If we were kept there, if we were still doing that, it would have been okay, but there's something better. Look at 
9, 11 through 28. We see access granted. Access granted. Verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, though uh, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, that this new covenant that Jesus is now the mediator and the high priest of is not here on earth, but it's up in heaven. It's a, it's a heavenly temple. It's a heavenly, uh, he's a heavenly mediator. We, we just read in the old covenant that the sacrificial system didn't work because it could not, could not, um, purify the heart or the conscience of the people. But we see in verse 14 of chapter 9 that because of Jesus, our conscience have been purified. The question is, well, how? How? Verse 12. Notice he says, He, the Christ. But when Christ, not Jesus, when Christ came in. Christ is His title. It's not Jesus Christ. Christ isn't His last name. It's a title. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the King that has come to save the people. When Christ entered once and for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. So what saved us? Is Christ's blood. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works and now to serve a living God? Uh, the, the sacrifice of the animals, again, was for uh, the purification of the flesh, the outer man. The, and how much more greater was the sacrifice of Christ because it got into our hearts and cleansed our hearts and our conscience. As tag team used to say, whoop, there it is, right? So we are purified by Jesus' sacrifice. It's His shedding of His blood for the forgiveness of our sin, verse 22. And notice there's an argument from the lesser to the greater. The lesser is the animals being sacrificed. The, the greater is Christ being sacrificed. The unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why was Jesus' sacrifice better? Well, one, He only had to do it one time. If you look at verse 25, we know and we've already talked about under the old covenant, the high priest had to go in every year to offer up the bulls and the goats and the lambs year after year after year after year after year. And it didn't fully cover, uh, the, it didn't take care of sin just for a temporary or reset the nation for the next year. We see in here that Jesus is better because he only had to die once for all. Verse 12. He entered once for all. Verse 26. He appeared once for all to put away sin. Verse 28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Christ is better because He only had to do once for all. Now we, we, we circle that phrase and, and there's different ways we can understand that phrase. The way we emphasize whatever word. If we emphasize once for all, we're, we emphasize it in a time frame. It's a one-time sacrifice. No one tells us it is finished. It is done. We sung about that. Or if you emphasize all, once for all, that means he, he's talking about who he died for, you and for me. So I think you guys can take that, take that either way or, or both ways. It's a both and. He only had to die once, and he only had to die once for all. 
for them to be sanctified. So that's number one. Why is Jesus better? Number two, because he is a substitute that corresponds with you and for me. He is a substitute that corresponds with humanity. The people that broke the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, were men and women and children. It was you and me, not any of the animals. So that's why it was insufficient and only temporary. Because the one that had to pay the price was that of humanity. Humanity sinned against God and didn't keep up his end of the covenant. Therefore, it was us who deserved death. That's why in Hebrews 2.17 it says this, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made, become human like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of his people. He is a, he is a savior that corresponds with his people. That's why Jesus is better. Jesus became a man so that he could be and correspond as our legal substitute. Many of us know sports and we've played sports, we've been around sports, and we understand when when in basketball or in swimming, when, when someone gets substituted out, it has to be a substitute that corresponds to them, right? We're in the Winter Olympics right now, but let me use a Summer Olympics analogy. Swimming, relay race. If you have a relay race and you have four individuals that are going to race in that relay, and just before they get ready to start, one of them, I don't know, slips on the, on the pavement and, and, and knocks himself out, the coach has to put someone in, has to put a substitute in that corresponds with them. He can't put in a dolphin, right? Because that would be unfair. It would be an unfair substitute. He has to put in another human being to be uh, one that would compete in the race, one that corresponds. This is why Jesus' um, substitution for us is, is better. Because He was human. He corresponded with us and fulfilled what was required under the Old Covenant. Blood to be shed. Human blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. So again, Jesus stepped into the role of your substitute that corresponded with you. He represented His people. He didn't lay down His life for Himself. He laid down His life for you. He laid down His life for me. He is a better substitute. Therefore, because of Jesus and His blood that was shed, because He was sacrificed, because His sacrifice was our substitute that corresponded to us, we see in verse 12, we, we receive this eternal redemption, but also in verse 14, and a purified our conscience. I want you to think about before you knew Christ, we all know the feeling of being condemned, of being guilty. We know the weight of that guilt. We know the weight of that condemnation apart from Christ, of, of the things that we are doing. We, we even tried to suppress it, didn't we? You and I tried to suppress it. How would you try and suppress that weight of guilt on your soul, on your heart, on your conscience? Well, you look to find someone that was worse than you. You'd be like, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as Osama bin Laden or Hitler or, or whatever, right? That would make you feel, that would kind of, for your temporary, kind of relieve your conscience of your guilt. But that wouldn't work. We, we all tried to suppress it. We even just said, maybe just trying to say, well, I'm really not that bad. I'm really not that bad. I'm really not that bad. Just say to yourself a hundred times, you're not, I'm really not that bad. And that helped quash it. But we understand this conscience that is consumed by guilt. It's a guilty conscience apart from Christ. But when you and I repented of our sin, 
when we embrace the sacrifice that Christ gave us. That He was our substitute. That it should have been us up on the cross, but it was Jesus for you and for me when we repent and receive Him as our Lord and as our Savior, our conscience is purified. The guilt, the condemnation is no more. Romans 8.1, there is thou no for, there are no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That feeling, I can remember, just goes away. But let's just, let's just take a step back and be real practical this morning. It doesn't go away forever, does it? Even if you are in Christ right now, some of you have probably walked through those doors knowing what you did last night, how you sinned and rebelled against God, and you feel dirty. Some of you even maybe this morning argued with your spouse coming in or yelled at your kids, and you know right now you feel the weight of a guilty conscience on you right now. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that the flesh easily lets us go in this area. Your flesh doesn't let you off the hook that easy, does it? How many of you battle with that right now? Go ahead and raise your hand. Raise it high. I'm, I'll raise both my hands. That's a reality. Positionally, our conscience has been pure, but practically there's still a war in our minds and in our heart. Even though God looks at us and sees we're pure, there's still a battle in there. Our flesh doesn't let us off the hook that easy. We still can have a guilty conscience of what we did last night, of what we did a week ago, of what we did a year ago, or what we did 10 years ago. The flesh still brings up those past sins to weigh on our conscience to make us feel miserable. I heard a great story as an illustration this week to kind of help you, and help, that really helped me um, kind of when we get to that position, when we get to that, that place where we're battling with the flesh and we're thinking all these bad thoughts in our mind, maybe you can remember this. Remember the duck. Remember the duck. Here's the story. A little boy was playing with his uh, slingshot. So this must have happened in the 80s because boys now don't play with slingshots, which is a sad deal. If you're a dad, make sure you go to the Kmart or wherever and buy your kid a slingshot. I just showed my age because there's no more Kmarts here anymore now. Freaking, it's Walmart or whatever it is, right? Anyhow, you can tell us the story took place in the 80s, right? Because now kids would just play a video game about slingshots, right? You know. All right, sorry. But this little boy playing with his slingshot, and he smoked grandma's duck who was just out in the yard and killed grandma's duck. And, and, and yeah, he felt bad. He felt bad. And so he looked around and was like, oh, oh no one saw me. Therefore, I'm going to bury grandma's duck and just, you know, keep it quiet. Well, big sister saw him. What happened? And so for the next year or so, Every time big sister, mom and dad said, hey, take out the trash or wash the dishes or go clean your room, she turned to little Johnny, I don't know if that was his name, but little Johnny and said, hey, remember the duck. And kind of held it over little Johnny's head, right? Remember the duck. So little Johnny would go do her chores. Well, finally, after about a year or whatever, little Johnny said enough. Couldn't take it anymore. Was done with it. So he just went and told Grandma. He was a little nervous. He went up to Grandma and said, Grandma, I killed your duck. And this was her response. To his surprise, she hugged him 
and thanked him. She said, I was standing at the kitchen window and I saw the whole thing happen. And in that moment, I forgave you. I was just wondering when you're going to come to me and confess so you get your little sister you know, off your back from blackmailing you. What's the point of the story? The point of the story, if God has already seen what you have failed to do in obeying Him, how you have sinned against Him, if He's already seen it, not only in your past, but in your present and also your future, and has already forgiven you, then don't let anyone or your flesh tell you to remember the duck. You've been forgiven. Your conscience is clear. It has been purified by the blood of Jesus. You no longer have a guilty conscience to lead and guide and direct you, but you have a clear conscience. In fact, you have the very mind of Christ guiding and directing you. So when you feel that battle, you can remember this story, and hopefully it may help you remember what Jesus has accomplished for you and how God the Father looks down upon you when you're in this fight. Your conscience has been clean. In Hebrews 9, 15 through 22, there's a whole section we're not going to get too deep into it because it really dives deep and down to the Old Covenant and, and compares some things. But the main point I want you to get this is that not only have you been purified and sacrificed by Jesus, your conscience has been purified, but you've also been redeemed. You've also been redeemed from the penalty of breaking the Old Covenant and all the laws of God, whether they were written down or they were written down on stones of tablet or on your heart. You have been redeemed or freed. You have been redeemed or the purchase has been paid by Jesus' blood. Now we'll go to verse 23. The author ends this section by saying that the tabernacle and these sacrifices were copies that pointed again to a better sacrifice and tabernacle in heaven. It's an already not yet. It's where Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of God because He atoned for us and there's no more work. Now He's the perfect intercessor and high priest for us. Yet we are not in heaven. It's a future. We're looking forward. The old covenant pointed to all this. We, when we put the, the furniture there, every single one of those pieces that had been pointed out pointed us to Jesus. First access, you, there was only one way to access into the tabernacle was through that one east side door. And right, Jesus is the door. And then you got to that, that altar, that burning sacrifice. They would see that, that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and, and then you saw that where the, where the priests bathed themselves, and we saw that Jesus is the water. He washes you with it by His blood for the forgiveness of sin. And then the, the priests were allowed to go in that first section. In the first section, we saw the, 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 the bread on the right, and we said that Jesus is the bread of the world. And then we looked to the left, and there was the lampstand that showed the light. And Jesus is what? The light of the world. And then we saw that big, that big veil that, that kept us from the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. And we know that when Jesus died and offered up His Spirit, what happened to that veil in the temple? It was ripped from the bottom to the top? No, from the top to the bottom. His, his, his body was torn so that we could enter in and have access to the altar to the very presence of God. Everything in the old earthly covenant pointed to Jesus in the new heavenly covenant. It's incredible. Verse 26, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man, for woman to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, 
He already did that the first time. Sin has already been dealt with. When, he, when Jesus comes back again, He's not coming as the Savior. Well, He's coming as the Savior, but He's coming as a King. He's coming as a King to save those who eagerly await for Him. You and I, we have a lot of people in our life that fear death apart from Christ. They may not say it, they may not show it, but if you, if you sat down and you had an honest conversation with those who don't know Jesus in your circles of influence, they would be afraid of death and dying. Why? Because in their conscience, in their guilty conscience, they know they've sinned and they know something is coming. They might not know what is coming, but they know that something is coming that is going to reckon their guilty conscience. And they can't shake it. You were there. I was there. We can't shake it. When we get alone, we know that, that our sin is there, is a real reality. And if it's not covered by Christ, we know that some judgment is coming. And because we know we're guilty. Verse 27 says, the thing that's coming is death and judgment. Notice there's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. One time, it's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. So I want you to be thinking about those people right now. I want you to be praying for them. It should move your heart earnestly and with an urgency to pray for them. To pray for your family members, to pray for your friends, to pray for your co-workers, those you go to school with. It should move your heart with some urgency to pray for them because you know that the only way their conscience can be pure is if they are covered by the sacrifice of Christ. They repent of their sin and trust in Him. That's why we, at the, we talked about this at the family meeting, that we really want to press into our third value here of legacy. We want to leave a legacy with those who do not know Jesus. We want, and we told everyone, asked everyone to write, hey, write down five names of individuals in your lives that are not believers. Write them down and start praying for their salvation. And, 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 start, and, and start praying for an invitation for Easter. So from now until Easter, that, that you are praying for them. You share them with your life group. You share these names with your journey group so we can also rally around and be praying for these individuals. And specifically, we're praying that they come to know Jesus. But also, maybe they, uh, maybe they won't, you know, they need something else to come to. So maybe it's Easter. Most people will come to Easter gathering. So, so pray that they would come to Easter gathering with you and they would come and hear the gospel and repent and believe. So that's the first thing. We need to be praying for those people because we know that their conscience is eating them alive apart from Christ. And the only remedy for that is Christ. So that's number one. But number two, as our response, our response to death and judgment is, is not fear, is it? He says we're eagerly awaiting that time. I don't know about you, but, but there's days where I'm just looking at this world and being like, Lord, come now. Take all of us now so that we can be in the presence of You. We're not scared, but we're eagerly anticipating, waiting. And we can do that because we know our conscience has been clean. And we have access to God through Christ. And we know that when that day comes, when either the Lord comes back a second time and we're still around, or if we pass away and we, it's just a door, death is just a door to get us to heaven, we come face to face, with God, our Father, and our Judge. He's not going to judge us for our sins. He's already done that. We've already covered. It says He's going to invite us in and save us. 
to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. Do you eagerly wait for that day? Is that actively on your mind as you go through your journey with the Lord? That because of Christ's life and death and His shed blood, because our conscience has been cleaned, because now we have access to God, our sin has been dealt with, we're just, we're just waiting to be with the Lord. Eagerly. Enthusiastically. There's a, there's a joy that wells up in our soul that we can't wait for that day. I do. I hope you do as well. There's a lot, there's a lot that I was going to cover in this. and We'll cover this in Hebrews 11. But I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21 real quick. Revelation chapter 21. I love to hear the pages turn. It's going to be a sad day when everyone just has their Bibles on their phones and you never hear the pages turn because I never know when you're done there so I can start talking, you know? Anyhow. If you have your Bible on your phone, no guilt, no condemnation. It's okay. It's still the Bible. It still works. still God's Word. I just like to hear the rustling of the pages, you know, as you're preaching. All right, that's, a, that's just... All right, anyway, moving on. We know Revelation 21. The great judgment has happened. Sin and Satan have been cast away. There's no more honor. We're in a new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem coming down. We're with all the saints of old. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, it is a big party happening in heaven. But notice Revelation 21, verse 22. So chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb. In heaven, there's a new temple. It's God and Jesus. And no earthly temple, no place to go to, no doors to walk through, no places where it says, you shall not pass. But it's access to everyone because we are in the midst of the presence of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Total access, total freedom, total joy forever. Kind of reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12, when Paul says this, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Like we're talking about this access that we have with the Lord now because our consciences have been cleaned because of the shed blood of Christ and, and we have this freedom to be, to, to be in the presence of the Lord and it's right now but not yet because we're, we're not in heaven yet, right? And there still seems to be a, a separation, physically at least, from us, and we don't we, 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 we see dimly, but there, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in the past, I know, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I'm fully known. You see, right now, God knows you and me in Him fully. He knows every hair on our head, He knows everything about us, and we know in part. But that one day when we come into the presence of the Lord, we're going to know fully. We're going to see Him face to face. And it's going to be mind-blowing. It's going to be mind-blowing. Now again, we're going, to, we're going to kind of unpack this over the next couple weeks in Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11. And we're not there yet. But again, we know that we're not in heaven now. So how, how can we press into God's presence right now? What is, what is the best way we can press into God's presence right now. And one is what we're doing right now. 
that we come together and gather and we worship the Lord. As Cole said, that worship is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that we can to come into the presence of the Lord and lift our voices up. And think about it. Today, millions upon millions of men, women, and children all over the world in many different tribes and many different tongues have come to worship Jesus, to be in His presence. The Lord is here now where we gather. He is in our midst right now. We don't want to be like Jacob when he was out and he he said, oh, forgive me for I knew the Lord was not in this place. No, the Lord is with you and me now in this place. But still, it's still tough for us to to grasp. So I'm reminded of Hebrews 4.16. The next best thing that can bring us into the presence of God is, is through prayer. Is our ability to communicate words to Jesus right now. Hebrews 4 6, because Jesus is our, our because of his sacrifice, because he's our high priest, because he's our mediator, uh, there's no more any veil, there's nothing, we have total access to God the Father. We can with confidence enter into the throne room of God, to the throne of grace where God is, and lift up our prayer requests and our praises. It's through prayer. This is where God is. And this is how prayer can help us enter into the access that we have with the God the Father. So, this morning, this week, if prayer is the greatest way that we can have access to God, will you give yourself to praying continuously and fervently this week? And only this week, but from now on. Will you give yourself to prayer? Will you you give yourself to access God face to face through prayer? If we do that for 2022, take the words of the author of Hebrews, we get, we already have eternal life, but we get to even grow in our intimacy with Christ. And that can only be a good thing. That can only be a good thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this access. Lord, thank You. We, we still don't live under the covenant of You shall not pass. But we live with the covenant where we have a Heavenly Father with open arms say, come to Me. And we can do that because we have the greater High Priest, the greater Mediator, who, who was a substitute that corresponded with us so full atonement could be paid, not just outwardly, but more importantly, inwardly. Our hearts and our consciences are cleansed. And now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that walked in here and didn't have that confidence, that didn't have that, that trust and that understanding that they are secure in Christ and that they still have a guilty conscience, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would just repeat and say, I I repent of my sins and I trust in what Christ's life, death, and resurrection has done for me. That they would receive that by faith. That you would would enter in by your Spirit and clear their conscience. That you would be their Lord, their King, their Shepherd, their Father. And they would be our now friend, brother and sister actually, in the faith. And for us to have, Lord, may we just May we just this week, maybe even starting this afternoon, just take a walk and again, enter full access through prayer, and psalms and singing and 
hymns with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.